Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lenz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's son, Pastor Shane Lenz, and his teaching in Philemon 1, 1 through 7, called Refreshing the Saints. As much as uh, I have such passion and a love for music, and I do li- listen to music fairly often in my car, but a lot of times in the morning, I don't, and my wife pointed this out when we started dating. She said, you know, there's a lot of times, because I've had a habit of just using that time to pray. Uh, when we first started dating, she pointed out, like, why do you never turn on music in the car? And I don't never turn it on, but more often than not, I'll end up just driving in silence. And I, I find that that's a time that can be redeemed for good. Now, it's not to say that if you listen to music while you're driving, you're wasting your time. Unless, of course, the music you're listening to is not honoring to the Lord at all. Then that is another thing. And we can talk about that another time. But I would encourage you to find time in your day and make it a routine and a habit to seek the Lord in prayer. And I heard a pastor say many years ago that as he preaches, Jesus is as real to him in the room as the people sitting in the seats. And He approaches his sermons as if Jesus Christ is sitting in the front row listening to every word. And I will tell you, uh, he is. He hears every word. In fact, the scripture says that we will give an account for every careless word that we've said. One of the most terrifying verses in all of scripture. For every careless word. But I wonder, and I believe that if we spent more time in prayer and believed in the power of prayer. We, we like to say that we believe in the power of prayer, but if we believe in the power of prayer, then we will pray. I have uh, many young men that I have coffee with and, and we talk, and often something that I always go back to with them is, if you want to make this thing right in your life and you really want a relationship with Christ, do you really want to honor him in this area in your life? You will do it. Don't tell me I want to honor God and then not honor God. Make the change. If you feel that your prayer life is lacking, make a change. Start praying. Stop scrolling through Facebook for endless hours and start praying instead. I have timers on all my social media now because I find that I will waste too much time. And sometimes you can, you can ignore the timer, sure, but at least it's a reminder like, wow, I've already been on my phone for 30 minutes today. How much time have I prayed today? I wonder if the Christian church spent as much time half the time, a quarter of the time that they spend on social media in prayer instead, how vastly different the church would look. And the Apostle Paul understands the power of prayer. And he says in verse four, I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers. Why does he thank the Lord? Well, he thanks the Lord because he's refre- Philemon is refreshing the saints. Do you refresh people? I just wonder. Paul is, is applauding and, and praising Philemon and encouraging him and saying, you are refreshing the saints. You are, you are uplifting people. You're equipping them with the gospel. And one of the, the first thing that he says is because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have, not only towards the Lord, but towards those whom you are shepherding and leading. When, when you walk into a room, do people, uh, for self-application purposes, do you, do you think that people feel like they're going to be encouraged by you? 
Or do you think that when you walk into a room, people are going to expect to be discouraged? If you are leaving behind a legacy around, with the people around you in your life that you are not an encourager, that's not a good legacy. Now, I'm not saying that there's never a time to speak a, a, a word of truth and to exhort and to even um, rebuke. But you should be known just because, simply because you are a Christian. Some of you will say, well, that's not my personality. Okay, I don't care that it's not your personality. You are a new creation in Christ, friend. And so you are called to be an encourager. I hear that excuse all the time, and it's usually justification for bad behavior in the life of a Christian. Well, it's not my personality. I don't fellowship with anyone because I'm an introvert. Okay? Can you show me that scripture where it says, uh, don't forsake the meeting and gathering together and the breaking of bread unless you are introvert? (laughs) No. We need to see the value in the gathering together of the saints, and that's something that's been very much challenged in our culture. And Paul says, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Verse six, and I pray that the sharing, or you could say the partnership, as some translations will say, of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in Uh, that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, verse six has been debated um, many times as to what Paul is exactly saying here to Philemon. I won't bore you with all the different perspectives on what it means. Um, I've heard some sermons in the last few days that try to make a case for personal evangelism from this verse. I suppose if you took verse six out of its context, it's a great evangelism verse, but in its proper context, which is how we study the Bible properly, it's not really about personal evangelism. No, no, no. What Paul is saying here is he's talking about fellowship, or a good word is partnership, because see what happens is in our Western culture, we read that word sharing and we think evangelism. So he says, and I pray that the sharing, but a better word would be, I pray that the partnership of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing. Okay, so Paul uses the word here uh, for partnership in the Greek is koinonia. You guys know the word koinonia because you're about to go eat stuff I can't eat right now because of the stupid diet plan I'm doing, like cake and cookies. And we have our koinonia time. We have our time of fellowship and uh, you could say partnership as we go out after the service. And you guys are going to have a time where you get to just commune with each other. If you always make a habit of skipping that time, I'd encourage you. If you can, I know if you got to get up early for work, I get it. But take a few moments and get to know somebody you don't know. That's why we do that time. And that is the word that Paul uses in the Greek, koinonia. And he says, look, I, I believe that the sharing or the, the fellowship, the koinonia of your faith is refreshing the saints. And so it's not so much about sharing our faith in an evangelistic you know, terminology as much as it is about fellowship within the body of Jesus. And again, that is what Paul is getting at, is that he's building up to the, the ask for Onesimus to be forgiven. He's strategically working to that point. So he's praising Onesimus, uh, uh, Philemon for the things that he's done well, and he's saying, you've been refreshing the saints, uh, you have been faithful to the Lord, you've poured out love to people, thank you. I'm always encouraged when I think about you. And he's, and he's talking about this idea of oneness in Christ, and fellowship in the name of Jesus, because in a moment he's going to ask 
Philemon to take a huge step of faith and forgive Onesimus for what has happened. And take him in not just back as a house slave, but as a brother in the Lord. But that's next week's sermon. And so Paul makes it clear. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, In Christ, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That is a huge idea of our text tonight, is this idea that Philemon and Onesimus would be reconciled to each other in spite of what has happened. Now, something that I want to address for the few minutes that we have left. I have heard it asked so many times, not only in reference to Philemon, but in other biblical passages. And it is a fair question that I think is worth spending some time on for a moment tonight. Why didn't Paul outrightly um, condemn slavery? I've heard that question asked over and over again. One of the biggest struggles that I, I have had with people who are opposed to the things of the Bible, usually, especially in our current time in our culture, comes back to this idea of slavery. A proper understanding of what is happening is so key. Slavery is just a fact of life in this culture. This is... Any major society at this time in history is built on slavery. But when you and I think of slavery, what do we think of? We think of the transatlantic slavery, that, that things that took place, and things that slaves that were brought from Africa into the States that were uh, given no rights, were thought less of, and we're thinking of 18th and 19th century occurrences, and people who thought that because somebody had darker skin than them, they were less valuable. And I will tell you right now, out of the gate, as we open up this subject tonight, that any man throughout history who has tried to make a case that a black person has less value than them because of the color of their skin is a fool. And if they try to make the case from the Bible, that is blasphemous and it is an abomination before the Lord. The Old Testament clearly condemns that type of slavery. That is not the slavery that we are seeing in this text. Nor is it the slavery that God gives regulation for in the Old Testament. Onesimus is more than likely born into this uh, form of slavery. In many cases, to be a slave was like a job that many of us have today. I said this earlier. In some cases, it was indeed horrible because the master may have mistreated his slaves. But this was frowned upon by many. And And if it was found out that there was mistreatment, a lot of times action would be taken from a legal standpoint. But the Roman government, non-Christian authority, classified slaves as property. But this situation is slavery where it is a type of employment almost. Um, In many ways, it is a choice. In fact, the Roman Empire, it's possible that 20 to 30% of the people in the Roman Empire at this time are a slave of some form. And So what this means is, first, to be clear, the Old Testament clearly condemns the slavery that happened in the early America that we know. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael's son, Pastor Shane Lance, in a moment. 
Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now back to Pastor Michael's son, Pastor Shane Lance on Walk in Truth. The master may have mistreated his slaves, but this was frowned upon by many. And, it, and if it was found out that there was mistreatment, a lot of times action would be taken from the legal standpoint. But the Roman government, non-Christian authority, classified slaves as property. But this situation is slavery where it is a type of employment almost. Um, in many ways, it is a choice. In fact, the Roman Empire, it's possible that 20 to 30% of the people in the Roman Empire at this time are a slave of some form. And so what this means is, first, to be clear, the Old Testament clearly condemns the slavery that happened in the early America that we know. I will give you a few verses, but I'm going to give you a few key points because I think this is knowledgeable things to take when, when, you, when you get this opposition from people. Well, why doesn't the Bible condemn slavery? In fact, what you will hear oftentimes is the Bible condones slavery. That's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear people say, well, the, the Old Testament promotes slavery, and they're going to go to verses in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and they're going to take them out of context, and they're going to say, you see, you see, and you need to be equipped to answer that. And so I think it's worth our time for a moment. Number one, God is not the author of slavery, but people are sinners and it happens. So God gives regulations and instruction in the Old Testament on proper protocol for slavery. In many ways, slavery is designed in this culture in the Greco-Roman world to help the poor. You say, help the poor? How could slavery help the poor? If you weren't able to get a job, if you had a debt to pay, you could quite literally sell yourself to a master and say, I will work for you for this amount of years to pay off this debt so that I can be a free man. So in many cases, people ended up in a slavery situation based on a choice. Maybe they had a debt to pay or they needed employment and they were desperate for a job. So they, they do that in order to make wages. Um, in Hebrew culture, slavery was oftentimes volitional, as I'm saying. That is, people could choose to hire themselves out to pay off a debt or work for basic needs that they needed met, um, like putting food on the table for their family and stuff. And um, their master would be able to provide those things that they may not be able to provide for themselves. Uh, number four, kidnapping and forcing someone into slavery is explicitly outlawed in the Old Testament. Over and over again. Deuteronomy 24, 7 says, if someone is caught kidnapping a fellow Israelite and treating or selling them as a slave, the kidnapper must die. That's a serious offense. You must purge the evil from among you. Exodus 21, 16 says, anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or still in the kidnapper's possession. Proverbs 22, 16 says, one who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and one who gives gifts to the rich becomes, um, both become, uh, come to poverty. Another thing, number five, slavery was limited in years in this culture. It was a total of six years. Now, we know this idea from the idea of being a bond servant. 
What that would look like is that you would serve in a household for six years, you'd pay off your debt, whatever the agreement was. And in many cases, if the master and the slave had a good relationship, they would become a bond slave or a bond servant, which is that they would become a servant by choice. They would commit themselves to stay with that person for the rest of their life. And a lot of times they would have land and property. They would have a living quarters with the master's family. They would have their own kids and family. And it was like they became family. Number six, Leviticus 25 makes it clear that slaves were to be treated as employees and after their time was completed, they were to be released. Number seven, slaves, according to God's law, also had equal rights and could own property and could purchase their freedom. The Bible makes it clear that no man owned another man and that each one was created equal in God's image. Slavery was not based on race. That is a key thing to remember is that the slavery that you are seeing now there were times when this happened like the jewish people under the persecution of egypt under pharaoh but the slavery that god is giving regulation for in the old testament is not based on skin color that ideology largely is uh, comes to the surface in the 18th and 19th century and that's the slavery that you and i often associate when we hear the word slavery that is not what the Bible is talking about. That's not what Paul and, is talking about. And that's not what's happening with Philemon and Onesimus. So I just think that it's valuable that we address that because it's going to come up. And so it needs to be, we need to be educated on what's happening here. You can get more information about this. There's so many resources online for what is happening in, old, in the Old Testament laws. Uh, but just know this. Uh, that it, the slavery that you and I think of when we think about our education, maybe in a public school system in this culture, is not the same thing. Everybody good? Okay, cool. I just think it's worth so that we can help answer people and guide them when they have struggles with that in, in looking at Christianity and the Bible. Our last verse for tonight, because I know we're at our time. Verse 7. He says... For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And this is really where we land tonight. Paul has such a joy as he writes to Philemon because Philemon is being a good shepherd. He's being a discipler and he's being faithful to the things of God. A couple things that I want to ask you tonight. Are you discipling anybody in your life? Is there somebody younger than you that you can see and say, I'm going to seek out that person and I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to help them. And maybe they can learn from mistakes that I've made or they can, they can glean from wisdom that I've gathered over the years of my life. And are you being discipled by someone else? These are key components to your life as a Christian. As I said earlier, it's very possible if Paul's on house arrest, as Onesimus shows up and makes his plea that he would help him with his situation with Philemon, that Paul is putting himself in danger and possibly jeopardizing his future by doing this. Because to give aid to a runaway slave is a crime under the Roman government. But Paul says, it's worth it because I'm called to be a discipler. And so I, I think it's an important thing that for us as Christians tonight, we are seeking to be someone who refreshes the saints. Amen? Amen. 
Somebody who is, is interested in the things of God and desires to see people discipled and grow in their faith and their knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the legacy that I want to leave behind. Somebody that refreshed people and was an encourager. And you know, the people in your life that are like that are always quite literally refreshing, aren't they? Because it's rare. It is rare to find someone who is good at encouraging. And so if you take nothing else away from this first uh, section of Philemon tonight, I would ask you as the title of our message, are you refreshing the saints? You don't have to be a pastor or a church leader or on staff at a church or leading a Bible study per se to be a refresher. It's just part of the call on your life as a Christian to be someone who refreshes the people of God. And so I'll leave you with this. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's Colossians 3.16, the same, the letter that Paul is probably writing at about the same time that he's writing Philemon. You've been listening to Refreshing the Saints, part three on Walk in Truth. And that was the conclusion of Pastor Michael's son, Pastor Shane Lance, as he teaches in Philemon 1, 1 through 7. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, are you in need of prayer or guidance? Sometimes getting through the week has its challenges, and we have pastors ready to hear what you have to say. Whatever you're going through, please call us. Walk in Truth has pastors on staff ready to talk to you Tuesdays through Fridays during normal daytime business hours. Please call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, as you've heard a message about refreshing the saints and we think about the topic of prayer, maybe you would say prayer is not a priority for me anymore. I've kind of lost my way with prayer. And I will tell you, prayer is a discipline and it is something that can easily fall by the wayside. Um, maybe you don't know how to get back to it. I'm still, I'm sitting here with Pastor Shane who's preaching from Philemon. If someone, Pastor Shane, as we close this broadcast, we'll keep it brief, but if someone has lost their way as it relates to prayer, what what would you recommend they do to try to get back? Yeah, well, um, start praying. I think <laughs> that uh, we oftentimes overcomplicate these aspects of our faith and our walk with the Lord um, you know, I have a friend who once said to me that the Christian life calls for a lifestyle of prayer that's almost like breathing. And he said, um, you don't have to think about breathing. You just do it. And he said, when you stop breathing, you notice. <laughs> and, um, you know, if you're breathing, you're alive. And so I hope you're breathing right now as you're listening to this. And um, I really think that the way that the Bible talks about prayer as a Christian has that implication that it's almost something that should just be a natural part of our walk with the Lord. And so if you're not in that place and you feel like it's a 
struggle. I will tell you that um, I can understand that. In fact, I have a very um, uh, busy mind. I have a hard time focusing. Um, you know, I've I, I have never been diagnosed with like attention deficit disorder, but I do think that that I probably would be close to that. Um, I have a very overactive. Uh, mind. In fact, um, for much of my adult life, I have struggled with insomnia. I have a hard time getting a full night's sleep. I have a hard time falling asleep. And so I, um, I can't really chalk it up necessarily to anxiety, but more just overactivity in my brain. And um, with that, it has made um, times of devotion in prayer more challenging because I find myself there's a propensity to wander. I end up thinking about other things. Mm-hmm. And so I have found for me that I have to make it a regular practice for it to be something that comes naturally. I think you're speaking the language of a lot of people. I think a lot of people would say, yes, that's me as well. And I right. think the Lord uses your mind, Shane, to get a lot of stuff done <laughs> because of the way that you're wired. But I appreciate your honesty. Your transparency is wonderful. And I think people will find that they are refreshed. And that's kind of a major theme as we look at verses 1 through 7, is you'll find refreshment in the presence of the Lord and as you make your petitions known to Him. God bless you. We'll see you Monday. And don't forget that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and helps us do our free apologetic events too. Please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $20 a month. You can donate at walkintruth.com. And join us on Monday for Pastor Michael's son, Pastor Shane Lance, as he teaches in Philemon 1, 8-16, called A Beloved Brother. I'm Mike Massaro. Have a fantastic weekend, and thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.